Today we're going to be talking about forgiveness. Everybody's like, woo! Super excited about that topic, right? <laughs> yeah, so I think it's going to be a good word today. Um, I'm excited to share with you this morning. And um, uh, it, there, there'll, be, there'll be some things I say today that might, you know, get you going. And uh, I think that's a good thing. I always try to speak to myself when I preach. Uh, it's not me just talking to you guys, right? I'm talking about myself here. I'm talking about how I want to change, how I want to grow, what the word has been teaching me. So I'm not excluded from what I'm saying today, amen? Um, <laughs> yeah, so we're going to be talking about forgiveness, and there's a connection that I, um, I want to talk about between forgiveness and pride and humility and how it plays a factor in the way that we're able to forgive others and um, forgive ourselves. So we'll talk about that connection. We'll, we're going to talk about the one thing God won't forgive you for. And what it looks like to forgive yourself and forgive others. So we're going to start with God. Sound good? Let's start with God. I always think that's a good idea. All right, let's turn to Genesis 1, and we'll stop when we get to the New Testament. God did all that. No, it's, I'll tell you this. I'm going to paraphrase the main the main story of the Bible, okay? I'm just gonna paraphrase, and trust me, I'm not, I'm not reinterpreting anything wrong. Um, God created everything, right? But his best creation was us. I happen to think that trees are actually kind of insane when you think about them. Trees, I'm, I'm serious, trees, like, do you ever stop and just look at a tree? Nobody? Trees are crazy. Like, but God said that we're, this is his words, that we were his best creation. We were made in his image. And he is perfect and holy. And not just sinless, but so far from sin that, you know, sin wasn't even a thing until we came around. <laughs> um, and let me clarify, like, if you think that Today, this is kind of an aside, if you think that today things are worse than they used to be in terms of sin and wickedness, let me just let you know that like people, humans have been especially wicked the whole time. Like we've always been bad. <laughs> and it would be like, so if you think today things are worse, it would be like saying, you know, like the serial killer, he usually kills one person a day, and now he killed this two people in one day. And you're like, can you believe that? No. That's not, it, he was wicked the whole time, right? It's like, this is what's, this is what's going on. Anyway, uh, the sin that separates us now from our maker, from our home, is the problem. God created us, to be with him. So shout out to uh, all the mothers in the room. Yep. How many of you know that they have a special anointing and gift from God to create? Right? Amazing. So as humans, <clears throat> we've been separated from God because of our sin, just like a child who is separated from their mother, from their home. It's not right. It's broken. It needs restoration. So Jesus comes along, he walks the earth, he is God in the flesh, he toils in our mess, experiences our pain and struggles, our losses, 
and he willingly lets himself become a sacrifice for the atonement of our sins, praise God. God, <clears throat> who created everything, he is perfect and holy, had no obligation to redeem us. But he chose to. Do you hear that? Okay, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> we'll read verses 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jesus completely fixed the issue of sin, okay? The cross has cleared the record of sin, amen? There's, this is insane. The gospel rewrites history. What, what rewrites history? Nothing. You cannot change history. You cannot change something that happened. The only thing that does that is the gospel. The only thing that rewrites history is the gospel. You are forgiven. Romans 8 shows us that the legal status of our sin in light of Jesus Christ is dead. It's been atoned for, the legal status. But guess what? Elsewhere, in Jeremiah originally and then also repeated in Hebrews, when, reference, when referencing the new covenant, which is mediated by Jesus, God says, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So once your sins have been atoned for through the cross, you are not, not only are you not legally accountable for your sins, there's no condemnation, you will not be judged by them, but by the cross, but God also forgets your sins. He remembers your sins no more. So the relational status between us and God has been reconciled. So not only are we not punished for our sins, but we have full, complete restoration with our relationship with God, okay? Twofold. This is what true, all-encompassing, spiritual, transformative forgiveness looks like, and it's our model. What God has done for us is our example for what we do for others. <clears throat> there is no condemnation and there is great relational reconciliation. The gospel changes everything. It changes the way that we see ourselves, it changes the way that we see other people. And it should, right? It should. But you know, we get caught up in the flesh and where we hold people to the same standards that we, uh, we shouldn't be holding them to, um, to the standards that Christ already forgave us for. And you know, we'll talk about this a little later, but there's something really um, scary that we express when we, don't, when we withhold forgiveness uh, from someone else. So, <clears throat> but the reality is that it's one, sim it's one thing to simply believe that you've been forgiven and another to live like it's true, right, amen? Living in that 
acceptance and the freedom that comes with Christ's forgiveness is, an, is another thing. So why would you, who've been set free, go and live like you haven't been set free? Why would a prisoner set free not live like a free man unless he has made himself a prisoner? There's, there's a couple of things we do that prevent the fullness of God's mercy and grace to be manifested in our lives, and that is forgiving others and forgiving ourselves. Both of those issues, those stumbling blocks, those are rooted in pride. And so that's what we're gonna dig into today. So let's start with others. You must forgive others. Your ability to forgive is directly related to your own understanding of your, your understanding of your own salvation, like we just talked about, that it's a, a gift that has been freely given to you. Now, what happens is it's not based on your merits or your right behavior, uh, but only because of the goodness of God. But when we develop a habit of working for our, sal our salvation instead of receiving it as a gift, what we do is we start holding other people to that same standard. We look at, we build up this list of things that we've accomplished, these good merits, these good behaviors, these milestones in our faith, and we say, what have you done? Look at what I've done. What have you done? And we start comparing each other. But salvation is a free gift that's freely given. Not, we, don't hold the, we don't hold the power to give salvation, right? So let's turn to John chapter 9. Verse, and we'll start at verse 35 through 41. <clears throat> so I'm, uh, summarize the context of this. This is the Gospels. And Jesus had just healed a blind man on the Sabbath. And if you don't know what the Sabbath is, it's a day of rest. And the Pharisees were crazy about it. They were like, you can't do anything. We don't do anything on the Sabbath. And it was God's, God's direction that the Sabbath would be a day of rest, of no work. That was his design. The Pharisees misinterpreted what that actually meant, unfortunately. And they were very upset that Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath. Why would you be upset about that, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, they're also kind of in disbelief that he was actually healed. They were questioning, like, was this man really blind? Or was he faking it? Or was there some other kind of scenario here where this man didn't, God or Jesus didn't actually heal this man. So, and they end up ridiculing the healed man. They start poking at him and say, you know, who was this that did this? And what Jesus does is he revisits the man that he healed. And here's what he says, picking up at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him now. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. That's well, that sentence will stop you in your tracks. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see. We're like, yeah. And those who see will become blind. Hold on. <laughs> What's going on here? Some Pharisees who were with him 
heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of your sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So this is not a conversation about physical sight or blindness. Even though he heals a man who had no physical sight and gave him sight, it's a conversation about spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. He says, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And we know that the Pharisees were listening to this statement because they they immediately responded to Jesus' statement here. So it's safe to say that Jesus was speaking to them. And they were the religious leaders of the day and they were known for their high view of the law and in our interpretation of the scripture, their self-righteousness. And they were, in fact, they were unrighteous in their judgments of other people. They believed that they were capable of judging people. They were capable and that they could do it accurately, right? And Jesus is saying, no, you can't. You do not see clearly. You do not see all things. If you think you can, you will become blind. Things will be hidden from you. And not only that, but you'll be guilty of your sins. It says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of your sin. So if you didn't claim to be able to see, you would be innocent. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains, okay? So when you judge someone else, what you're doing is you're being unrighteous because you're saying that I have the, I have the understanding, I have the authority and the power to, under, to know that you're guilty. And the word tells us that we're not, we're not capable of doing that. So it's not, so withholding your unrighteous judgment of other people is not optional, okay? And you know, I love when I'm like filling out an online form and there's like all these questions and then there's get to the bunch of it it says like optional. I love that because I'm like, nope, not gonna answer that. You got enough information on me, right? Absolutely not. (laughs) But let me explain how not optional (laughs) forgiving others is. What Jesus is saying here is that when you enact your judgment on other people, you are at odds with God's merciful judgment of you, okay? When you withhold forgiveness towards others, you are at odds with the forgiveness through, uh, through the cross for yourself. I don't know about you, that's a little scary. You know, in Matthew chapter six, Starting at verse nine, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. I'm sure you all know this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. And you know, he found Jesus found particular value in reiterating one of those lines. In the next verse, he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Remember I said, this is the one thing God won't forgive you for? I'm just reading it. Forgiveness is freely available, right? 
But here's what he says. If you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. That is just how not optional it is. <laughs> okay? So what, who, do, who do we think we are to not forgive someone? Right? The God of creation has spoken love and forgiveness is readily available to whomever should seek it. And you, my people, will be the ambassadors of that love and forgiveness. Who do we think we are to not forgive someone? You see, what's at the root here is our pride. I'm not here to say that forgiving um, someone for their offense against you is like a, a walk in the park. I'm not saying that it's, it's incredibly easy or you should just do it and get over yourself and move on. It can be really hard. It can be incredibly emotional. Um, but we have to look at it plainly and, and understand that our resistance to forgiving others is connected to our desire for an ungodly retributive justice where like I need to, there, this needs to be atoned for in the flesh. We still, we still long for that. Or if somebody wrongs us, we want there to be a balancing of the scales in, in an earthly sense. Like we want something in return, right? Um, like if somebody steals from us, we want it back. But forgiving them would mean like, it's not mine anymore. It is, it is what it is. Forgiving them would be like, I love you. Right? That's hard. We have these feelings um, where we want to we right the wrongs and we want to do it in a way that serves our ego and our feelings. Like, I want to win this argument. <laughs> Does anybody here like losing an argument? Didn't think so. It doesn't feel good. I want to feel, we say, I want to feel like they've paid their due, right? Which is much different than God's will for restorative justice, which by the way, he's already paid the price for. <laughs> like God came in, cleaned the whole house, top to bottom, put everything in its place where it's supposed to go. We come into the house and we're like, that's not the way that I wanted it done. Make it a mess again, please. <laughs> right? He has a perfect way of doing it, and that is the restorative justice. There's no condemnation, and there's relational reconciliation. So when we choose, instead of pride, when we choose humility, and we freely forgive others, what we get is a greater glimpse of who God is. We get a greater taste of his goodness and mercy his gracious judgment of us becomes that much sweeter and it becomes the predominant thing. Everything revolves around it. So I heard someone say once that what a church sings, so we were just singing, what a church sings, what we're singing, shows what they believe and how they sing shows how much they believe it. I love that. And I love all of you for singing some of you need to sing louder. And um, <laughs> some of you are, you're good right where you are. <laughs> we hear you loud and clear. <laughs> no, no, but I think, that, I think that statement about what we believe versus how much you believe it, right? I think that really applies to forgiveness. Your willingness to forgive others shows how good you think God is. How good do you think he is? Right? 
Everything revolves around that central thing, which is that I'm loved and I'm forgiven. But you know, I have to accept that judgment for myself and give it to others. So here's a question. Are you willing to accept God's judgment of you? It's a gracious and merciful judgment. Are you willing to accept it? Because if you are, you must forgive yourself. So I'm sure there's lots of us here today that <clears throat> so far throughout this message, um, maybe you haven't felt very challenged and it feels relatively easy for you to forgive other people. And that, praise God, that's the work of Christ in your heart and in your life. And by no means is it a small thing. But you know, when it comes to our own failures, the things that we didn't necessarily do to other people, and nobody, has, nobody did to us, the things we did to ourselves, the mistakes that we've made, it can be a little different. It can be a lot harder. And uh, I want to explain a little bit of a, the difference between how that might feel. I'm talk, talking a lot about feelings. Is everybody okay? Is anybody crying? You don't have to cry. Like, it's a lot, talking a lot about feelings. It's okay. <laughs> um, I think there's a big... <laughs> There's a big difference between guilt and shame. Um, you know, it's perfectly normal and actually a work of the Holy Spirit within us to inform us with a feeling of guilt for our sin. And the, it would be like, if you didn't feel guilty for what you, were, what you did, why, what would prevent you from doing it again or repenting? You know, the feeling of guilt is really what kind of informs you like, oh, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Um, and that's a work of the Holy Spirit. And we know that because I see a lot of people doing stuff and they don't have any feelings about it. And I'm like, how could you not have any remorse or guilt about what you did? There's an absence of the Holy Spirit in their life, amen? So we have that and that's what that is. You know, there's a difference though between that and shame. But I'm not, also not saying that like, our feelings are our moral compass. Like we just go wherever our feelings are, right? Because that's, that would be a bad idea. Feelings, they feel really weir- real, really real, but they don't always tell the truth. Um, for instance, you might feel like you're gonna be the next person to win the lottery. You might feel like it's your team's turn to win it all this year. (laughs) Unless you're an Eagles fan. Um, (laughs) Okay, Uh, you might feel like uh, that Chick-fil-A sandwich, AKA the Lord's chicken, isn't that unhealthy for you? It's pretty bad. It's good, but it's bad. Okay, feelings lie (laughs) all the time and they're good liars. But as Christians, our moral compass is God's word and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So feeling guilt about something you did, if it's actually wrong, <laughs> um, it's really just, it, what it is is your spirit rebelling against your flesh. It's your spirit saying, let's not do that, okay? Let's not do that again. Um, so guilt is a good and hel- helpful thing, but shame is totally different. It's related, but it's more connected to how you feel about yourself because of what you've done. Shame is what makes you insecure. It makes you hide. It makes you lie. And the reason shame feels 
so terrible is because of our pride. We have these expectations for ourselves to be perfect and we don't want any help. We want to figure it out. We want to be put together. We want to have, you know, perfection. We want to do the right thing all the time and we don't want to be told how to achieve that, right? We want this sort of like teenage independence still. Um, I mean, that's kind of how we all felt, right? I mean, my goodness, my two-year-old does it. <laughs> He's like, no, do it myself, dad, dad, do it myself. And I'm like, he doesn't want to accept my help sometimes, right? Um, that's pride, Levi, just kidding. I mean, it is really, but like, <laughs> um, it takes a lot of humility to accept help and even more so to admit that you're, you're helpless. That, you know, in Christ, you are not defined by your past, but by the righteousness of Christ in you. So this is where it gets difficult. I know that in my mind, and I know in my heart that Christ's sacrifice has truly set us free from our past, but the reality is that like our past leaves scars. Um, and sometimes those scars are too big to ignore. So what do we do, right? We are who we are because of what we've experienced in life. We carry baggage because of life, life's experiences. And even though we may know in our hearts that we're forgiven and we're promised grace and mercy through the cross, sometimes we can't help that we're diff- we've changed because of the things that we've experienced. And the pain can resurface, right? The pain from our past can always resurface. But I think that um, the goodness, the, the good thing about it is that there's, there's a greater form of restoration that God has in store. And if it's not here on earth, it's in heaven. There is a promise of complete and total restoration where your scars will not be there anymore. And so here's some things that we do, and I want to say this, and then we'll talk about um, t- talk about the burden of our pain. But let me just say this. There's, some, there's a couple things that we do that where we run from our past, and I think that doesn't help us. We don't ag- acknowledge the things that have actually happened to us. We don't acknowledge our scars. We like to kind of just bury them. Um, and, and it keeps us from really forgiving ourselves. So... One thing we do is we let time fix it. You know the quote, time heals all wounds, right? Nope, it does not. I would say it's like, it's like a half truth. Time like partially fixes like some wounds, but that's not, that's not the kind of restoration we're looking for, right? And even though it's like, it's not gonna set you free, there's gonna be a remnant of your scar, Right? Some wounds will stick around for a very, very long time if you try to let time fix them. So the question is, how much time do you have? <laughs> and we do this with other things besides time. We try to avoid our past by just not talking about it or looking to present distractions. We'll do whatever we can to ignore the things that are tormenting us. We'll put a lot of work into burying our past. 
<clears throat> so that no one will ever know. So we talk about freedom. If you look at your life and you see all these things that have happened to you, you see your own scars. And if you feel like you don't want other people to see them, maybe it's because you haven't forgiven yourself for what has happened in your life or what you've done to yourself. But here's the truth. True freedom is when you can look at your past and it's not your shame anymore, but it's your story, okay? And what kind of story is it? It's your testimony. It's a story that magnifies the name of Jesus and his saving grace. Your story can lead others to freedom. So even with all the terrible things that have gone on, the heartbreak, the loss, the mistakes, the broken times, the regret, your story is less about how little help you needed. We're not boasting about how well we did through all that. We're boasting about how good God is to redeem us. Amen? Our story can lead others to freedom. And so the worship team here is gonna, they're gonna lead us in that song, we'll come to the altar again. And uh, if the prayer counselors are here, uh, they can come up and uh, I don't know who's on the team today prayer counselors, you guys can come up. I'm gonna invite people to come forward um, if, you, if you're looking for prayer this morning. If you want to be freed from your past, if you're ready for the, the cross, if you're ready for restoration in your heart, if you're ready to experience a new level, a new capacity to, to forgive others and to forgive yourself, maybe, maybe all of this is new to you today. And the cross, you just need the cross for yourself. You need to come to the Lord. I invite you to come forward. And, and, and I'll say this, I wanna be bold about this. Like there is, there's, there's something that happens when you take a step of faith, okay? So if you're sitting in your seat this morning and you think, I'll just do it from here, come forward. Come forward, take the step of faith, okay? Worship team, you guys can go ahead and lead us.